Hey everybody, welcome back to Greece Chats. In this episode, I'm sitting down with Father Vagoras Konstantinidis. Father Vagoras is the Dean of Saints Constantine and Helen Greek Orthodox Cathedral of Brooklyn and the spokesman of the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America. In this episode, we're going to discuss a very interesting topic, traveling to Greece as a pilgrim. You may know Greece for its amazing food, amazing beaches, the nightlife, which is nothing wrong with. However, join us and enlighten yourself in Greece in a completely different way than you may have ever imagined. Father Vagoras has served the Greek Orthodox Church in a wide variety of roles, including as Director of Youth and Young Adults for the Direct Archdiocese District, Archdiocese Registrar, Spokesman for the St. Nicholas National Shrine, Director of Camping Ministries, and Director of Ionian Village. Father Vagoras is a dynamic, visionary, and strategic leader and has a genuine capacity and record as a team builder who can inspire and lead efforts to enhance ministries in their stature and develop their full potential in accordance with the distinct ethos, history, and mission of the Orthodox Church. So, with all that being said, let's jump right into this conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Father. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For, for sure. I've been wanting to do this for quite some time, and it, it just took some time to put all my thoughts together on this because uh, it's a, I feel like this can be a really, really cool conversation. Um, but before we jump into this, why don't we kind of uh, get to know you a bit? I mean, obviously, I know a little bit about you, but our listeners may not. So why don't you tell us who you are and what got you into um, becoming a uh, priest in the Greek Orthodox Ooh, that's a that's a much bigger story than I'm sure you have time for on the podcast. But uh, my name is Father Evagoras. I am a priest of the Greek Orthodox Church Diocese. I have been a priest for about 10 years now, and uh, I grew up originally in Chicago. And I grew up in a pretty Greek-American home. Uh, I had never gone to Greece until I was, I think, uh, 11 years old. Um, you know, my family was very integrated into the community. You know, we didn't really speak Greek growing up. I dropped out of Greek school. Uh, you know, we were living the Midwest suburban life. Um, and as I got older, my brother and I started both having a much deeper appreciation for our heritage and for our culture. And part of that was because uh, our family started going and traveling to Greece through the Ionian Village program. My dad was one of the priests, and so we would go for, uh, I think, three or four summers. We went every summer. Um, after I became a priest, graduated from the school, came down here, moved to New York uh, with my lovely wife, Maria. And for eight years, I was the director of Ionian Village, uh, the Archdiocese summer program in Greece. And basically what it is, is it's a summer camping ministry in Greece that takes young uh, high school kids and young adults to Greece for a 20-day program. And it's a camp in Greece, but it also travels. It goes and sees sites of both religious and historic significance. And being able to do that, go to those sites, visit places all over the country, really opened my eyes to what Greece is. And it's given me even more of an appreciation. And uh, I hope to be able to share some of those stories with you today. It's amazing. Um, so my, and my next question, which is mainly the question of where I want this podcast to go, is my thoughts have been everyone loves to go to Greece. You love going to Greece. I love going to Greece. The Greek diaspora loves going to Greece. Um, 
But everyone sees Greece from the outside as we're going to go to Greece, we're going to get off in Athens, we're going to hit the bars, we're going to go over to Mykonos, and then afterwards we'll go relax in Santorini, and then we're going to get on a plane and come right back. But there's so much more, and there's so much more when it comes to Greek Orthodox faith and all that. So I wanted to just get this from your eyes. Sure. So, yeah, I think that um, that is definitely the perception that most of the world and, and a lot of even the Greek American world has is, you know, you have that checklist, right? That you said you arrive in Athens, you're definitely going to go to the Horyo, spend some time with the relatives, like do that obligatory visit and eat the food and be out in the middle of nowhere and go to the paralia and okay well, there's nothing wrong with it but nothing wrong no with it that's it's part of it's part of what you do right, right. You, but it's like it's a it's a box you tick off okay yeah. i went and saw theo and Thea. i went and saw yeah yeah papu check yeah. and like now i'm gonna go to the islands now it's like you said i'm gonna hit mikono i'm gonna hit santorini i'm gonna get all of these places the beaches the bars the clubs the coffees all of that's part of it but one of the things that I had the opportunity to do at Ionian Village was that we talked to our campers and our staff members about not just being on vacation, but really being on pilgrimage. And I think that this is unfortunately something that we as Greek Americans, when many of us travel to Greece, we uh, miss the opportunity, right? Let's call a spade a spade. Most of us go over there in July and August. And the only church really that we have an experience of is if we have, you know, a Vaftisi or a Gamo that we've gone over there for, we go and do that. We, you know, sweat through the church and then we go to the party until three o'clock in the morning or we go to Panagias. And even that, right? How many of us are going and standing in the church and being really respectful? It's it has become an event to get to the Panagiri. So like you stand yeah. outside, you wait for the Ikona to pass by and then you party until the next morning. Right. 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 So we have this like concept of like I'm doing church, but really not fully engaged in our faith in a real meaningful way. And basically what I saw over my time there and, and through my travels is that the spiritual and historical treasures of Greece are found at the churches and monasteries of the country. And that was what we always talked to our campers about. That was what we took them and uh, took them to see some of these places. Right. Um, so, one example, you know, is on the Peloponnesos. You can go up into the mountains, right? Up in, you go, you're going towards Calavrita, which just got tons of snow. And there's like tons of skiers out there right now. Um, but you're going towards Calavrita. And you can stop at the small monastery of Megaspilion. And you go and it's this really totally unassuming monastery on the side of a mountain. And I've been to monasteries all over Greece and really all over the world, right? Some of the monasteries, you go to Meteora in the summer, you can't move. There's people everywhere, there's tourists, there's this, there's yeah. that, right? You show up on Megaspilion at any single day, there's like nobody there. Right. Like maybe one group, right? And I've been dozens of times. But you walk inside Megaspilion. And you realize, you start talking to the monks and you realize that, one, it is the second oldest monastery in the world, uh -huh. right? The second oldest monastery in the world, only second to uh, St. Catherine's in Sinai. So that's number one, right? And number two, it has an icon that is made out of mastic and wax that was made by the evangelist Luke, who wrote the gospel 
And the Panagia saw this icon with her own eyes and blessed it. This icon is now 2,000 years old. It's survived fires. It's survived invasions. It survived all of these things. And you you can go and look at it and, and vener- like get right next to it and venerate it, right? That's history that you can't find anywhere else. This is that's the core of our faith right there is is are these things, right? So you know, you look and you say, Oh, I have a church and our church has icons and you know our church has all that stuff. Yeah, but it started with that, with that icon of the Virgin Mary done by the evangelist Luke. And there's only like four of them in the world. One's there, one's in Cyprus, one's at Monathos, and I think the other one's in Russia. But it's just there. No one knows it. No one goes. No one sees it, right? So there's things like that spread all throughout the country of Greece, throughout Cyprus, throughout the islands that you really can take the opportunity to learn about. And when you go to Greece, listen, I'm not asking for people to go and change their whole itinerary and, you know, the skirts and the pants and the mandili all the time. I want to go to the beach just as much as anybody else. I want to relax. I want to have a good time. But there are also these things, these beautiful treasures that are like hidden. And it requires us to do a little work to find out what's along our way. Because I guarantee that no matter where you go, there's something there that's worth seeing. That's amazing. You mentioned with that a bit, and it seems like that's become the popular one because everyone knows it through photography everyone who goes there is in awe but so aside from Atera and aside from um megaspilion there where else in greece can we find monasteries i mean i know they're everywhere but close you, your eyes can you, ta- can you tap on, on the map more that are that we got some more must must visits and some that are less popular so we can go there alone and yeah another one of those Honest to God, it would be unfair for me to start listing yeah. monasteries that I think are, I mean, because I know that I've traveled a lot throughout Greece and I've only seen like the smallest fraction of things that there are to see. I mean, it's re- it, like I said, right? You go to Evia, your family's from Evia, go to the monastery of St. David, right? And you can see, you venerate the relics of St. David. You can also venerate the relics of St. Yakovos Tsalikis, who was just a modern day saint who lived in the 1900s, right. right? Go to Paros. Who's been to Paros, right? Everyone loves going to Paros. Paros is great. Yeah. Go to Paros, go visit the church of, um, uh, what is it? It's Panagia Katatopiliani. Uh, it's a church and there's like a lot of doors, right? A lot of gates. And in the back of the church, there's like this intact altar from Byzantium. And you can see how like the hierarchs and the patriarchs and the, the bishops used to uh, sit during, during, um, during ancient times. So like it, it, even, you know, I used to go when I was at the camp, I would, they would send me up into the mountains to go help out at the monasteries. You can go like to even where the camp is right down in, uh, down in Galifa, uh, which is on the Peloponnese, just outside of Bartholomew. There's this little small monastery there. Um, and it's called Panagia Eleusa. And it was overrun for many years or whatever, but you go there, it has a miraculous icon it has the relics of many, many saints, and it's also got a hideout 
of where the Greeks used to, they built this tower and they would look down onto the sea so that when the invading forces would come, they would get into the tower and they would all go into this tunnel and escape. So it's not about saying, oh, you know what, this one's good, this one. I mean, yeah, there's definitely some great monasteries that, you know, definitely hit up throughout the country and see like the really big stuff. And yes, Meteores. If you're in Cyprus, you got to go to Kiko up in the mountain. I mean, they, these are places of like history, right? This is where it is. But they're also the places that everybody knows. Right. No matter where you are, just like go ask a, somebody in the Horyo, like, you know, yeah, yeah. where can I go to just venerate? What, what about Patmos Island? I know there's a huge relation to like the Bible there. So Patmos was where St. John wrote the book of Revelation. Um, and, you know, there's a really big monastery there. And it's really a place um, that a lot of people go as, uh, uh, like, as a pilgrimage. That a lot of religious people go as a pilgrimage. Tinos is the same thing. You know, Tinos, you have the Church of the Panagia there. Yep. And that is the place to go, right, for Spanayas. Uh, you go to Hios, you have, oh, man, I can't, I can't forget. It's up in the mountain. Uh, I think it's like... Neamakri or something. It's it's not Neamakri. Uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting it. But in Hios, there's this beautiful monastery up there on Crete. There's a monastery called in the town of Arkadi. I mean, there's just there's so yeah. much that it's impossible to even start to list like, oh, these are the musties. Because really, you're gonna just keep learning the more you go and the more you go. One more monastery I want to ask you about is uh, Monathos. Yeah. And are there, and from my understanding, I haven't visited there yet. There are rules to visiting that? Yeah. So Mount Athos is the, um, it's the third finger, right, of the three fingers up uh, off of Thessaloniki. And Mount Athos is a collective of several different monasteries, and they're all men's monasteries. Now, Mount Athos has a tradition that only men are allowed on Mount Athos and that the only woman to ever step foot on Mount Athos was the Panagia, right? So, uh, unfortunately, women can't go to Mount Athos, but actually there's a monastery on the mainland that a very beautiful uh, monastery there on the mainland that the women can go and stay in. Um, and uh, and visit, but basically it's a whole process to get to Mount Athos. You have to go, you have to get a visa, you have to take a boat over, um, and then even when you're there, there's no like you know public transportation or anything like that. You're doing a lot of hiking, a lot of moving, but also be prepared to live the monastic lifestyle, right? I mean, church starts at like four o'clock in the morning, and you know they do church in the morning, they eat breakfast, a light breakfast, they work. I mean. Mount Athos is is definitely not a tourist um, destination. It is a place to go for retreat, for spiritual edification, and you know, really um, to go to be able to kind of reboot yourself. And then I think it, it's a great gift. That's awesome. All right, I want to uh, switch gears a little bit, uh, but still staying on this on chapels in general. Uh, we've seen all these pictures. Everyone visits Santorini. And I get this question a lot from people. Why are there so many chapels everywhere? Like little ones. You can, you'll have one and then you'll walk a minute and you're going to see another one. Yeah. I mean, so in Greece, it's so, I mean, they basically sell chapels like ready to go. You can like buy them from the hardware store, you know, these <laughs> like, put together. Yeah. Free prefab chapels. 
Um, but really, uh, and it's a lot of those mountains, it's a lot of those islands, right? Saldorini, another one is Egina. There's a local tradition on the island of Egina that there are 365 chapels, one for each day. And these are not chapels like in America where the church is built by, you know, the metropolis or the archdiocese and maintained. These are like little family chapels. And what they are is they're really um, offerings, right? And so let's say, uh, you know, the last name of the family is Yorgakopoulos. Um, and they build a chapel to St. George as an honoring in memory of St. George as an honoring to their family. Uh, and so then every year on the Feast of St. George, the priest would come and, you know, do liturgy once a year at that chapel. Really, they're, um, they're proskinitaria. They're just small worship spaces that anybody can build. You know, you can have a little tiny one like in your backyard or you can have like a, a bigger chapel. But they're definitely all throughout Greece and especially... Um, one of uh, when you're driving in Greece, most times, nine out of 10 times, right? If you look up, you'll see that there's a chapel on top of the mountain. And most of those times, that chapel is always dedicated to Prophet Elias. And the reason is, is because in the story of Prophet Elias from the Old Testament, it says the Prophet Elias, he lived a very, um, very full life. And he, uh, basically was fighting against all of the pagans. And so in order to prove that God existed, he went up with the pagan priest onto a mountaintop and they had this battle of, uh, you know, who could the pagan God make these things happen or could the one true God make these things happen? It was like weather or something. Um, and then there's also a tradition that prophet Elias was taken into a fiery chariot up into the heavens. So at the highest point is always, I mean, almost always is dedicated uh, to Prophet Elias. So, you know, these chapels are, they're not, you know, there's not a priest there every Sunday doing liturgy, maybe once a year, maybe once every two years. But what it is, it is the family building something and offering it to God. And we don't have that tradition here. And that's a really important thing. Interesting. All right, that was enlightening because I, I wasn't completely sure as why there's so many blue dome chapels all over the islands and stuff. Uh, but here's a bit, uh, just one small question on that. Does it bother you when these photographers step on it for photos? No. Or I you mean, don't care? I mean, look, one of, my, <laughs> one of my closest friends, I think his Facebook profile picture right now is him standing on top of a church in Sandorini. Right. Because some uh, people it bothers and some people like, no, like, it's not a big deal. So I just wanted to just throw that in there because I've I've asked a bunch of people this question. I think that it's it, it goes along the same lines of anything, right? Is that when you're when you're climbing all over other people's houses in Greece, whether it's a chapel or whether it's somebody's house to get the you know to get the gram, I think that that's a, probably a bigger issue than you know whether you're on a church or not. But um, anything for the gram, I guess. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of what you see with, um, you know, with these churches, too, is like a lot of them are beautiful. I mean, there's this church. Oh, man, I can't remember what island. It's on one of the islands. Right. And it's it's almost an, a fully outdoor church. And so it's on this this cave that's built in this, this, this hole in the side of the cave. And then the mountain kind of like comes up over it like this. Right. And there's a little altar there. There's like a little fence courtyard that would kind of be like where the church proper is. And there's a little table inside in the altar. And if you search it, there's just like, you know, people walking around and in the altar and this and that. And 
as a priest, you know, I, I, it makes me nervous because like, oh, well, this is, you know, a holy church, but it's also a place that's attracting people. And for all of the churches in Greece, I think for so many travelers who go through Greece, it's an opportunity for them to come in contact with the holy. And really, that's where the opportunity that it provides, not just for them as tourists, but also for us as Greek Americans and as Orthodox Christians, is to go and have your vacation, but also to experience the holy in a whole new way than you will here in your everyday life, right? Like most of us, not obviously not me, but most of us can go all week, Sunday to Sunday, without going in and or near a church, right? It's like, it's unless we're going out of our way to go to church for something, we don't do it. But in Greece, how many times do you go and walk by a church or a chapel or a little proskinima, right? How many times just walking from your hotel to the beach or when you're going out or you're going to, always. And the doors are always open, right? So we have to take that opportunity Pop in, light a candle, like experience something different than your everyday life, which is you just like going on your routine. You're on vacation. You don't have anywhere to be. Relax. Right, Go right, in the right. church and see what's going on. You know, that's right. you have this opportunity to live in a different way. So I think that that's important. What What is the last, when is the last time or what is the last time while you're traveling around Greece, whether it's monasteries, uh, finding something in, in the faith that has made you say, wow, like. What is the last time you were wowed by something? Oh, man, that is a very hard question. Um, I'm wowed by things all of the time. And sometimes it's not just like seeing churches or places. Uh, the last time I was in Greece, I went up to Thessaloniki for a few days in the summer. And anybody who's been at Thessaloniki in the summer knows it's great because no one's there, right? Everyone's out on Halkidiki. Uh, so I went to Thessaloniki in the summer um, and had an opportunity to walk around and experience some of the churches and the monasteries. And uh, one of the churches that I uh, visited was uh, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna slaughter this name, but it's Archipitos. It's this church in Thessaloniki. Uh, literally right up off of, of uh, Ignatia, I think. And it's this beautifully restored Byzantine church. And I met the priest and he's just this sweet man, Father Spiro, and we had the opportunity to talk. So I was there in the summer of 2019. And then I went back a year ago now, actually, February of 2020, right before lockdown started, I was there with the kids from our parochial school here. And we went back to Thessaloniki and we went to church on Sunday morning at Archirapietos and Father Spiro invited me to serve in the church with him. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, whatever, cool. That's, I've done liturgy, but they had the coolest thing. And he has this ministry there for deaf people. And so Father Spiro had once a month, they do a liturgy for deaf people where they're doing the liturgy like normal, right? But they bring a sign language person from Athens and the sign language person was in the pulpit signing the liturgy the entire time to the people that were there from that community. And I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen anything like that here. Never seen anything like that anywhere, right? And we had this whole big conversation afterwards with Father Spiro and with our kids. And, and you know, it was a great opportunity for our eighth graders as well. But 
it's an opportunity like that, right? I never would have known Father Spiro had literally just walking by and stopped in the church and said, I'm a priest from America to get that opportunity to, you know, be able to see things in a very different way, in a very different manner and how they do things. I think that was the the latest thing that really was jaw dropping for me. Awesome. Um, all right. I want to shift a little bit. Um, there's a couple more questions. Yeah. Favorite thing about Greece, and it doesn't. This doesn't have to be anything related to the faith, it, lifestyle, places to be. What is something that you just absolutely love about not being Greek, but being in Greece? Well, I mean, I love everything about being in Greece, right? I, what stands out? What stands I, out? I, well, I think you know, I've, I, while I was at Ionian Village, I had the opportunity to travel a lot to Greece during the winter time as well, um, and you know, when it's not beautiful and ninety degrees and sunny, and um, so, well, the one thing that I really appreciated is obviously it's always the way of life. You know, it's just you know, you get up early, you go to work, take a little nap. You get dressed, you go out for a coffee, and then you go to get dinner. I mean, it's just it's just so different from everything that you know we're doing here, and, and especially down like in the village where the camp was, right? Um, but in a very weird way, I think that the best thing about going to Greece, um, and I'm I, I'm gonna I'm gonna explain myself, so don't don't take this the wrong way. Yeah. But the best thing about going to Greece is coming home. Um, and a lot of people say, oh, God, that's the worst thing. That's coming home is it's and no one likes coming home. And of course, no one likes coming home. Right. But we as Americans are very fortunate. And many of us live lives that allow us to be able to travel back and forth to Greece very often and to see these things. And, you know, we hold Greece like kind of up on this pedestal of this beautiful lifestyle of relaxation and beauty and Bougainvillea and the beach and the sea and the coffee. But it's only like that. It's only special and unique and beautiful for us because we have the opportunity to come home and have the lives that we have here and then be able to go and experience that. So it gives me more of an appreciation, I think, of what Greece has to offer, I, even though I think then, you know, more than some Greeks who live in Greece. I think, you know, a lot of time you talk to especially young adults, right? It's not an easy lifestyle to be a Greek living in Greece. There's no jobs. The, the pay is ridiculously low. The cost of living compared to what they're getting paid, the benefits. I mean, everything. It's very difficult to, to really live there and sure, be sure. in that society. We are experiencing it really as outsiders coming in with our money and our opportunity and our travel. And so um, it's allowed me to have a real appreciation and really hold Greece up on that pedestal. And the sea. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I love I love the sea. I, yeah. I can't I can't swim in the ocean over here. I'm sorry. I just don't. I no, I can't either. I remember a couple of times going to Florida and California and they say, go to this amazing beach, go to this amazing beach. They're all just one long strip. And I'm just like, there's nothing about this that makes me say, you know, I like. I lived for a couple of years in Washington, D.C. and everyone used to go to Ocean City, Maryland. And there was like this bar or club or whatever right on the water. And like they, I would always see pictures of everyone standing in like waist deep water drinking and just like that's all they're doing all day yeah, you can't yeah, like yeah. i just the whole thing creeps me out but <laughs> so i'm a little snobby when it comes to that but it's just being there being in the water being it's it's definitely very much um something that i learned kind of later in my 
life, but to to go and to find the rhythm of the ocean. I think that right. there's a really important um, connection uh, with the the rhythm of the ocean. Yeah. Um, so about favorite things in Greece, there's one thing I want to bring up, and this is actually something that way back when i don't know when this was you actually mentioned this to me and it has stuck with me forever is that only in greece you said you can sit with somebody not talk to them the entire day sit they could be sitting right next to you and there's nothing wrong with it yeah i mean it's right it's you notice it when you're an american and yeah. you go and you're like walking through the hodio and everyone's staring at you right, right. and there's it's it's you feel uncomfortable you feel like why are they looking at me why are they staring at me but the more time that you spend there is very much this um self-awareness and there's also not this need especially with the older generation Mm -hmm. there's there's not this need to fill your time all the time with something right you know literally the best part of walking through a village you know especially early morning right is the yadas who are just sitting on their balconies yeah just watching what's yeah. happening below. Like yeah. that's it. That's they're, they're sitting together. They're not talking to each other. They're just no. observing. Yeah. There. Yeah. There's like yeah. four or five of them. Or the same thing at the cafe Yeah. Like you walk up to get a coffee, yeah. and there's like five old guys sitting there, yeah. just like flipping their koboloi. Yeah. Not saying anything. You're like, wow, something, something went down here. But like, right. that's it's what they do. They do it every day. Yeah. They're happy to be with each other in yeah. you know in, in camaraderie. But there's not this need to do what you and I are doing even right now, right? To fill every moment. They just chill. I love that about Greece. Uh, All right, so really quickly, where, hometowns aside, where is your favorite place to be in Greece? Honestly, my favorite place to be in Greece is Athens. I think that, uh, you know, it's worth the village, it's worth all of that stuff, but Athens, you can do anything and everything, and... Um, you know, there's so much opportunity and it's just really one of the, the best cities in the world for me. Okay. And your three best, not three best islands. Give me three islands a tourist should know about that is not Mykonos or Santorini. Um, you have to go to Crete. Crete is enormous and there's so much to explore in Crete. Uh, you definitely have to go to Crete. I would say that that's number one. Number two is uh, a place that an island that's starting to get definitely more popular is Milos. I went there a few years ago for a wedding and it was absolutely beautiful. And I'm going to throw a wrench in and say Cyprus as the third, even though it's not a proper Greek island. It is an island. It is a country. And Cyprus will give you a totally different understanding of Greek heritage and culture, but also give you the opportunity to learn about the ridiculous nonsense that um, happened with the Turkish invasion uh, in the 40s and what they've been ex- or what they've been experiencing ever since then. That's amazing. Awesome. Not for Cyprus. Amazing. Um, so next, what I want to ask you, and I'm sure this word has been overused unprecedented times unprecedented times um we're obviously living in that in those times and you you were a priest in the greek orthodox america greek american church um what has the pandemic has the church adapted to what the pandemic has done to to us i mean this has been an incredibly difficult time for the church because really the church is not about the building or the ministries, but the church is the people of God, 
right? Um, I I want to commend the really most of the clergy in this country for responding and responding quickly, getting live streaming up, um, adapting what they were used to for our entire lives to be able to continue serving the people of God. But there's some really serious spiritual fallout that we're not that we will be uh, dealing with for the rest of our lives. I mean, there's just a reality, right? It's like if you work out every day and then, you know, you turn into one of those guys as you get older and you're like, okay, I'm not going to work out every day, but like I'll work out every month, right? And so like, yeah, you kind of do it every now and then. You're not really serious about it. But then imagine your gym's just shut, right? That's what happened to the church is that, especially for young adults, we were already bordering on the place of like, not really having a solid connection because really that's what happens, right? Most kids, they grow up, they're in the church. They really leave quote unquote, the church until they have their kids. And then that's when they start coming back to the church with their kids and putting them in Sunday school and this and that. But now for a year, the churches has been closed and people have realized that they and their families can almost exist without it. And, you know, there are important conversations taking place about having a church in your home and having that spirituality, but there's also important realities of participating in the sacraments and, you know, taking communion, actually going to a church. There's a lot that we're going to be dealing with spiritually and people's spiritual edification for a long time following this. There's, there is no way, shape or form for the world, but definitely not for the church where we snap the fingers and it's like, everything goes back to normal. Right. It's going to be a long process of, you know, maybe everyone gets vaccinated and maybe people start going out. But when are people going to feel comfortable coming back to the church to do those things? Right. Because we already do. I, I saw a thing on social media this morning. It's like it's funny that people, you know, you can go and sit in a movie theater for two hours and it seems like short. But when it's two hours at the church, it's miserable. Right. You, you have no problem spending 20 bucks at the mall, but you can't put 20 bucks on the tray, right? Yeah. The church is already working against the grain, and we really are going to have to find ways to actively bring people back into the physical building safely, um, smartly, but also you know, continuing to hit home that message that church is about more than just you know doing a prayer. It's about community about the people of god sure yeah no i feel like the church was already against the odds before the pandemic just every year it just seemed like numbers were a bit lower than the previous year and you just kind of touched on what was going to mention people's excuses for like the, the church part or doing it and you mentioned how oh why do i have to be there i could just pray at home but that seemed to be the one thing i always heard when i would asked people what is your excuse oh why can't, can't i just pray by myself or at home yeah. I mean, I used to, t- so I used to tell the kids at camp, we would talk about this, right. Especially like with confession. And I would tell them like, think about this. Like, let's say you jump in the pool when you're a kid and you swim from one end of the pool to the other end of the pool. And you're like, wow, this is so cool. I love this. I want to be a professional Olympic swimmer. Okay. In order to do that, you're going to have to jump in the pool every day. And you're going to do it. Your parents are going to put a pool in your backyard. You're going to jump in the pool every day. You're going to swim. You're going to swim. You're going to swim. You're going to swim. The the chances of you getting to the Olympics just by doing that are almost zero, right? If you want to get better, you have to get a coach. 
You have to get a trainer. You have to do all of these things because the coach, the trainer, all these people, they're able to stand outside and see what you're doing from a different point of view. Okay, when you're kicking, your foot's going this way or your arm's coming out to the side and not going over. And they're able to critique all of the things that you can't understand when you're in that in the lap. That's what the difference between the ch- going to the church and praying at home is. Mm-hmm. Anybody can pray at home. Everyone should pray at home. But in order to get better, to get to the Olympics, which is ultimately salvation, right? Oneness with Jesus. In order to get there, you have to go to the church. The church is your coach. You got to get a trainer. You got to build a relationship with your priest. Because we never, very rarely see our faults when we're in it, right? Myself included. I have priests that I talk to about my life and about my experiences and about my difficulties. Because I'm not able to see it for myself. But the priest can be like, maybe this, maybe that. Have you thought about this? That's what the job of the role, that's what the role of the priest and the role of sacraments and the role of communal worshiping and having that in your life is that you, of course, you should pray at home. But the chances of you gaining salvation by not participating in the sacraments, by not going to church, by not participating in communal worship. It's just you're working yourself at like on on an uphill scale for no sense. You know, you want to be the best in anything, in sports, in business, in school. You never do it by yourself. Every great, every goat had a coach. For every Jordan, there was a Phil Jackson, Mm -hmm. right? I'm not even going to say the name of that other guy who just won the Super Bowl. (laughs) Come on, come on. For every Jordan, there's a Phil Jackson. Yeah. Sure. There's no Jordan who just got there himself. Correct. And that's, it's the same thing in the church. It's the same thing in our relationship. Yeah, as good as you are, you're not, you have your own feelings and you're not going to see the, the little things that you're doing incorrectly. But if you have somebody standing outside that has no emotional attach, I mean, that's, there is emotional attach, but you see what I'm saying, where uh, the ego part of it. Exactly. There, the, the role of the coach, right, is to help you get better. Yeah. It's not about them. It's about you getting better. Correct. It's the same thing with the priest. You coming to me for confession does nothing for me. Yep. It doesn't boost my ego that, oh, you came to confession. It's about you and God and you getting closer to Jesus. That's what the point of, of having a relationship in the church is. That's amazing. Well, thank you, Father. Uh, this has been amazing. I'm going to leave you one last question before we go. You, this can be unfiltered. You can just <laughs> however you want to answer it. Uh, this can be a question for but all people that are already part of the faith, that are already believers. It can be for people that are not, who might have an interest in it. But three simple words. Why Greek Orthodox? I think that we are very blessed to have our heritage and our culture and our faith. And in the world that we live, I think that it's unfortunately... We look too much and we celebrate the fact that we're Greek Orthodox almost in a way of um, being uh, superior to others. And you know what? The one thing that I came to learn through traveling through Greece is that being Greek is amazing. And so is being Bulgarian and Russian and Georgian and uh, German and English and everyone has their connections. That's what America is all about. And so when I came here to to this parish and to the school, we have like a parochial school, right? It's like half Greek and like half non-Greeks. 
and there's like this tension between them. And I told the Greek families, I said, our job is not to convince them that being Greek is the best. That's ridiculous, right? We're not superior to them. But our job as Greeks and as Greek Americans and as Greek Orthodox is that we have something called philoxenia, right? To offer that something to them, to make them see not that being Greek is better than anybody, but I'm obsessed with being Greek and I want to show you why. Because of the food, because of the culture, because of the history, because of all these things. Mm -hmm. I want to share with you my culture. Not overlord my culture on you, but my job as a Greek Orthodox Christian, as a Greek American, is to share that great gift of being Greek that I have to share that with the world. So I think that when we think not why Greek Orthodox, but thank God we're Greek Orthodox and let's share it with the whole world. That's amazing. Thank you, Father, for joining us today. Thanks. Uh, if there's anything else you want to mention that I may not have top, uh, dropped in there, go ahead. But no, I mean, it's just thank you so much for having me, for giving me the opportunity to, to speak about this. This is a, a topic I feel really passionate about. So make sure when you guys go to Greece, make sure you go see your local church, talk to your local priest there in the village, go see some things that are worth being seen. And if you're walking on your way to the beach and you see a church with an open door, make sure you stop in and light a candle and say a prayer for me and I'll say a prayer for you. Perfect. Once again, this was Father Avagoros Konstantinidis. And do you want to tell them what church... You're at? I'm at Saints Constantine and Helen Cathedral in downtown Brooklyn, New York. There you go. All right. Thank you. And hope to talk to you again soon. Take care, Tony. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, learned something new, or were inspired, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe for future episodes of the podcast. Talk to you again soon.